0: Welcome to Saltier Politics. Right now, we have Julie and her good friend, Ailey. Well, first, I'm
1: really thrilled you said my name correctly, so that is kudos to you. Julie and I have known each other a really long time, it's so long that I can't remember half of the dirt I have to share with you, so I'll just refrain, or else I'll get kicked All off. Right. But um,
2: Go ahead. It's fine. It's good. You There's know, no dirt. I live the blameless yeah, life. So I'll tell you what,
1: Julie was always really a good girl. She really was. She still is, so it's kind of hard to... Uh, We've known each other. Oh. We grew up in um, in the Princeton, New Jersey area, so I'm a I'm a kind of a Jersey girl, uh, Bucks County, Pennsylvania, Jersey girl. And um, anyway, so followed the route of a traditional physician, technically, and uh, went into internal medicine as a prerequisite to get into a specialty, which is autoimmune disease, rheumatology. I went on to do that mostly in New York, Philadelphia, New York. And um, and then also went on to do integrative medicine, which is kind of a holistic way of doing medicine through diet, nutrition, evidence-based material, not wacky, not fringe, two years training, um, and board certified in integrative medicine. And then somehow ended up, I mean, not really somehow, but ended up getting into environmental health, kind of really through um, – Happenstance. My dog got ill. It's in a TED Talk that I I did in December, which is accessible through YouTube. But um, my dog got sick, um, and this is about eight nine years ago, and I couldn't figure out why, and I was heartbroken, because at the time I had young kids, but I loved the dog better than the kids at the time, so I was really heartbroken, and um, you know, had to really figure out what might have caused him to get sick so young um with such an unusual autoimmune hepatitis autoimmune liver disease and then I ended up discovering sort of the lack of regulation for this and oh my god these chemicals in our human food and these chemicals are in our drinking water and oh my god it's what we put on our skin and I was just kind of floored and my my career kind of took a little bit of a tangent into that world that's really so
2: you have um, you have a book coming out. But before we get to the book, I, I want to talk about what's happening in the world right now, because obviously nobody better to talk to than a doctor. Um, I'm sitting in New York as we speak. Ali, I know you're in New Jersey. Emily, you're, are you still stuck down in Florida in your home state? Yes. We can make of you later for that. But um, but the reality is, I think there's a lot of information out there about what's happening with the coronavirus, how it's transmitted how it's um, affecting people differently, how it's not affecting some people at all. They may be carriers and not even know that they have it. Um, potential, I know that I signed up as somebody who who thinks she had it, but was not able to get tested, signed up at a hospital here in New York to get my antibodies tested to see if the, the plasma from my blood could be used to treat patients um, who are undergoing it now. So, I think there's a lot of information out there that people just have coming at them without any kind of understanding of what's true, what's factually not true. Can you just as a doctor walk anybody listening to this through what we're experiencing now, how long you think this can go on for, what the typical recovery rate is for this, whether Donald Trump is right that uh, we have to alternately either open up by Easter or potentially hunker down for the next two to three months? What, what's going on?
1: Well, a lot of questions that you just asked, but that's actually a lot of questions that we're all asking ourselves, even the healthcare um, fields. I follow some pretty um, intense conversations through um, avenues that are pretty restricted to physicians and healthcare workers. So I think I'm also getting a lot of information that the general public is not getting, um, maybe for good reason, because there's a lot of really scary information that happens to be true. It I I think what's really, um, you know, I think most of us have already wrapped our heads around the fact that this is not going to go away anytime soon, that because um, we are still kind of unknowingly, in many ways, infecting other people, that there's this ripple effect that doesn't seem to be able to contain the issue. Um, We're seeing this in areas where um, we think no one's affected, and then all of a sudden there's sort of this um, you know, escalate, you know, um, ramping up of infections very quickly. And that's the problem because we've run out of, of resources in certain areas, or at least we're running, we're going in that direction, say New York, for instance, which has the most cases right now, also half of the deaths in the country at this point, um, unfortunately due to COVID-19, are in New York City, in the New York City um, you know, area. What I think we need to think about, first of all, this is so unheard of that even, even you know epidemiologists and physicians are stumped um, the fact that young people are now much more um, likely to get it than was was originally thought even children who are otherwise healthy has really made it a scary situation where we you know we kind of tucked it away as an older person's illness someone who might be immunocompromised or have a chronic illness um, the problem is, is that most of this country has chronic illnesses. You know, how many people have high blood pressure or have a history of stroke? How many people have diabetes that's either controlled or not controlled? Mm-hmm. I myself am an autoimmune disease specialist. So, a good majority of my patients um, are immune compromised either, either because of their disease or because of the medications that I use intentionally and other rheumatologists or oncologists to suppress the immune system. So, you know, we have this idea that we're all healthy except for a certain little subset, but that's not really true. So we're kind of all open for potential um, infection. Now, of course, most people, 80% is the going number, um, tend to resolve as possibly you did, Julie, because it sounded like you had the COVID cough and you had yeah, sort of unbelievable yeah. difficulty with breathing in deep breaths. Um, unfortunately you're not a smoker, you're not a vapor, you're not a midnight toker, just kidding. But I mean, the idea is that you really, were. as far as you know, but no, as far
2: as I know, um, I know we all snuck cigarettes together back in high school. Come on, let's not, let's not
1: kid ourselves. You know, I was scared of my parents, deeply scared, so I didn't do anything wrong. Um, but, you know, the idea is there is, oh, so so to kind of narrow it down, who, who might be at risk that we're learning now, actually, which is interesting as it's being, you know, as the data is ramping up and we're collecting information internationally from, you know, Italy and cohorts in Seattle and China, of course, and there's a big sharing of information um, between healthcare practitioners, which is just unbelievably warmed my heart. Um, but what we're learning now is people who may be at more risk are not just um, you know people with immune compromised um, immune systems, elderly, but also obese patients um, has become a little bit of a subset. Those who might have had a history of smoking or vaping, which is our young population, of course. Um, so we're starting to see different, um, characteristics being teased out of the data. Um, but in general, it serves us all really well and others well to stay inside and really not potentially infect others. Even if you do have a low level or asymptomatic case,
2: but you see what happened in China, which is that they, I mean, I I think Chinese data is a little hard to believe because obviously they're not the most open society, but let's assume that their data is right-ish, and they were two to three months ahead of us. Um, you see that there are potentially no new infections in Wuhan right now. I suspect they're gonna start opening up the city if they haven't already. Is that a smart thing to do, considering that this thing can come roaring back, or is it better to just hunker down for some unperceivable amount of time uh, and, and wait for it to to pass? Although I don't know when that time would be. Is there even a time frame for when you know it's safe to go outside again?
1: Well, two quick points. We know what happened in Hong Kong recently was that Hong Kong actually opened up their borders and allowed people to kind of go and come and go as they please. And um, numbers went up in terms of infection rate. We know that also with, um, I can't remember, one of the uh, universities down south that opened up their doors. thinking Liberty. That, thank you. Liberty. Jerry Falwell, yes. Yeah, Jerry Falwell's uh, university. And, of course, now we know the numbers are going up there with infection Um, You know, the other characteristics that we're all hoping to see is whether or not seasonally and hot weather and high humidity can actually decrease the rate of spread, which would mean that in the United States um, and parts of Europe that going into summer, we would see small, you know, fewer cases, um, perhaps because people are outside and they're out and about, and less spread, as opposed
2: but, to being... Let me ask you about that, because Emily's down in Florida, which is hot and humid a year-round, including now, right? Emily's pretty hot I down believe there. I'm,
1: every time I go
0: outside, I'm beating the virus.
2: It's still, you know, that Florida's obviously had an explosion in places like Miami. Um, so I hear that, and I hear that Donald Trump and others have said that obviously when the warm weather comes, it'll be potentially better, but how is that possible, considering that the southern United States is already hot and humid, and they're experiencing this? Look at Atlanta, or not Atlanta, I believe it's uh, Albany, Georgia, which is also yeah. warm and in humid.
1: Yeah, I mean Australia was during right. their, um, you know, their summer months. Of course, we had the fires, but we also saw saw a ramping up of infection. We know in in the Philippines, there's a large number of cases. In fact, you and I, you may know that one of our friends from high course,
2: school, yes, um, horrible
1: story, both parents died in the Philippines, which broke my heart. So. You know, I think, um, and, and a very interesting string again on, on one of these Facebook feeds that has 90,000 healthcare uh, physicians and, and high-level nursing and nurse practitioners all sharing information, all kind of putting together their minds as to how to treat patients by taking, um, you know, ventilators outside of the room to save on PPE or personal um, protection equipment. All this different mind-sharing, um, you know, is that there was a string this morning that I was reading that had 300 comments about what people's theories are. And I think they were all very sound, but so many of them that it's almost like, well, what do we do? Because, you know, we all have theories, but the data just hasn't panned out. It's so novel, this coronavirus. It's so novel, um, new, that even though it looks like the strain of MERS and it looks like the strain of SARS, it's actually its own, um, you know, has its own um, fingerprint. And whether or not that that's even going to be mutating into other fingerprints is another you know or or kind of mutating into sort of a difficult to treat virus, we're not sure, but again, it's all unfolding, and that's why I think there's so much radio silence from a lot of even my colleagues. We just don't know what to say um before it's changed to some some more some different information so um We'll see. We'll see how this plays out. I don't know. And I should say, Dr. Fauci is phenomenal. I met him years ago when I was just an underling med student. And I got to say, he was um, extraordinary back then. He created a lot of the uh, the, the research regarding um, uh, HIV medications. And at the time, they called them protease inhibitors instead of protease inhibitors. And, um, and I just remember meeting him and knowing that this was the real deal. So uh, I really am hoping that he stays you know strongly in the picture because uh, you know he won't he won't um, you know uh, sidestep or shortcut science. He just won't.
2: So eventually this will pass um, and we will get back to our usual ailments. I was actually talking to somebody um, who chairs a hospital in your in your state alien in New Jersey and he today by sheer coincidence about something else and he said it's interesting that, doctors who are not emergency room um, medicine doctors are are kind of not having a great experience now (laughs) because nobody's going to see them. Nobody's going to the hospital for anything other than um, COVID or an emergency um, so that it's not something that doctors whose specialty is not to deal with that particular disease or emergency room doctor um, really has a lot going on right now. But eventually, hopefully, sooner rather than later, um, life will go back to normal and our normal lives will progress. And so you have a book coming out to deal with that and to deal with how to live a healthy, uh, life. And what I'm grateful for is that you wrote it for lay people like me, who, as you know, had a very hard time in ninth grade biology, um, unlike you. So, uh, tell us about the book. Tell us about what you're trying to convince the American public about, because I know that you've been for years, um, you, you, you run uh, an organization, a website, a Facebook group called The Smart Human, which basically goes around educating people starting in high school, right? About, um, about how to live a healthier, more sustainable life. So tell us about the book and tell us about your larger mission.
1: So thank you for that. Um, so yeah, the book that's coming out is the consumer version of the textbook um, that was written, I guess, a year and a half ago that uh, took several years. Uh, which was called Integrative Environmental Medicine. And essentially, what I'm trying to bring to light along with 26 other doctors and biologists and toxicologists in that textbook um, was really to show the world that we have a real problem with environmental exposures, particularly chemicals, chemicals that are in the food we eat, chemicals that end up or contaminants, you know, in, in drinking water. Um, which has become kind of one of the most important talks that I give nationally is about our drinking water. Um, Chemicals and personal care products that we put on our skin, we put on our children's skin, that we take, you know, really, uh, we just kind of assume that they're on the shelves and they're safe because they've made it to the shelves and we can all buy them, you know, with easy access. Um, But also exposure that people don't often think about that affect human health such as radiation, you know, cellular technology, all of our phones, our cell phones, our, you know, smart homes and everything that's Wi-Fi, um, you know, things that are as simple as noise pollution, um, air pollution, how big cities are handling air pollution in terms of, um, you know, mandating changes, uh, because we now know that the links to human health conditions like asthma, um, or even long-term risks for depression, anxiety, just from air pollution or air quality. Um, heart disease related to um, air quality issues. So, the goal with the textbook, which was um, which was a real honor um, to be part of that group of um, of intelligent scientists, um, was to really get the right facts out there in a um, in a format that was really meant for educators, um, doctors, and universities and university students. And now I'll be doing the book that is the consumer version. The C-spot run, the, you know, I'm at a bar drinking with friends, talking turkey about really what people really need to know and how easy it is. I mean, really, the emphasis is on what to do. I'm the what to do gal. Okay, I want to teach people not only that there's a problem, which people need to know that it exists, you know, whether or not it's regulation that's the problem or it's the actual chemicals or it's both, but it's what to do about it. It's really what what can we all use as resources? How can we look up our personal care products, our lipsticks, our shampoos, and choose better choices, make better, um, safer choices? How do we filter our water in such an easy way?
0: Because when you mention that, it, it, it's also important to know about because, like, right now with the water crisis in Flint or Newark, and the way for coronavirus to stop being spread is to spread is to wash your hands. I feel like it's also interconnected. So not knowing some of the issues that you're pointing out will exacerbate something like coronavirus now
1: yeah it's it's an interesting I mean I know such a deep dive into drinking water and how this the municipal tap systems work in this country, how many we have how many of us are reliant on those water sources as well as well water that I was actually wondering um whether or not washing virus down the drain is actually something we should be concerned about, and from all that I can tell, I don't see how that could be an issue because um, and, and this is just getting my mind thinking because I see everything through this, this set of lenses that I think most people don't now um, because it's just not something people generally think about really. Um, but yeah, I think that we need to think kind of globally about what not only what we're doing in the, in the moment, which is certainly based on fear and anxiety and, and what we're doing with exposure to a virus but what are we doing long term after this may pass, which I'm, I'm likely will pass? And what about all of the chemicals that we sprayed on our furniture and our doorknobs and our, on our you know, all of the really strong chemicals that we had to use to fight a virus that's toxic um, in its own right? And how are those exposures, which were problems before for human endocrine system or human health? going to now play into how we move forward and with these fears of infection. And I think it's a very interesting sociology question um, because we now have different behaviors and we might likely stick with those behaviors that don't always make us do the the safest choices. That's all.
2: Well, it's interesting to me because you just listed, I don't know, five, 10, things to worry about on a daily basis that I think I don't walk around being worried about. I know you do. And I know this is something you've been focused on for a very long time, but I live in New York. I turn on my faucet. I have, you know, drink of water and I don't worry about it. Um, I ride the subway. I don't worry about it. I put on makeup or for all the years that I was at Fox, people put makeup on me. I have no idea what was in this makeup. I really didn't have a choice of what the brand was or anything, any knowledge about it. Um, I think if you were to go around, Thinking about this 24-7, you probably would go kind of mad um, because of all these concerns. So, How do you even prioritize? I mean, how do you think about what your priorities should be in keeping yourself safe? Because, uh, you know, you you mentioned, um, Emily, drinking water in a place like Newark, New Jersey. Um, That's something I know a little bit about. And it's terrifying to me because with this drinking water is doomed to these children, where the school systems have higher levels of lead than Flint, Michigan, is that you're raising a generation of kids are not only going to be mentally impacted by this, but also will be more prone to violence as adults and other side effects of lead in water or lead in their system that's that's not just existing today, but will be a problem for them generationally um, down the road. So how do you even begin to grasp as a doctor was trying to educate people about this, where they should begin. Because if you think about water, and then you think about makeup, and you think about spraying stuff on your doorknobs, and you think about everything else, you know, the food that you put in your mouth, you're you're spending a lot of time
1: so bonkers. bonkers.
2: Yeah. you So what do you do? How do you, how do you prioritize?
1: Yeah. I've been doing this for eight years now and I've been scared for eight years. Just kidding. Um, I no, I, really, not,
2: I know you, you haven't scared for eight years,
1: not scared <laughs> enough to stop coloring my hair. So well, really, you're going to have
2: to, because guess what? Nobody's coloring our hair anymore. So the truth is going to come out.
1: Right. I want to do a story on simply all the blondes that are now turning into brunettes <laughs> and how they feel about it. So I think that's pretty funny, but you know, listen, um, You have to, what I've learned throughout this process is that you have to think about low-hanging fruit. And the things that are the low-hanging fruit are things that are not hard to change, that have risk that are not hard to change as as an individual. So my, you know, I give the story of regulatory issues and and different bills that were trying to be passed to clean up our personal care product chemicals or drinking water um, regulation, which hasn't been changed since 1974 under the Safe Drinking Water Act that only covers 91 chemicals in our municipal treatment plants, which is absurd, but no one really understands that. Um you can go upstream to all these regulatory issues but what I found is you have to kind of find your own lane and my lane was not to fight those big battles. I know many people that are doing that and I hopefully will win most of them if they can. But I think what I'm trying to message to people is that you can do a lot as an individual that doesn't take money, that doesn't take excessive amounts of education. It doesn't it's really meant for people to grab low-hanging fruit that are accessible, easy, smarter choices. And that's how the book is laid out, actually, a chapter on personal care products, chapter on food, chemicals and food a chapter on drinking water, um, a chapter on detox, which is not wackadoodle stuff. But it's really just how our bodies are innately built to to break down chemicals and flesh them out. If you just give them give the human body a chance to do so through exercise and sauna and choosing correct um, foods and that kind of thing. So, you know. I look at it myself as a test subject, because I knew very little about this topic seven or eight years ago when my dog got sick. And I look at myself as an average Joe trying to understand how to navigate through these very kind of complex issues. But my job really, as I see it, is to empower people to make simple, smart, practical, low cost changes that have high yield um, repercussions for health. And anyone can do these things that I'm recommending and I'm vetting the sources and making sure that, that people are making choices based on good references and good information. What's
2: the single best thing that an average layperson can do to accomplish what you're trying to accomplish other than buy your book, which we'll talk about in a minute. But um, what is the one thing that I can wake up tomorrow and do to change the trajectory of, of what you're talking about, which is putting toxins um, unwittingly, I should say, not because I yeah. specifically want to put them in, into my system.
1: First thing is just get rid of the crap in your house. Most people don't realize that they're buying a lot of chemicals, they're bringing them into a home that they spent many, many hours in. So I say to patients, people, patients, I say get rid of all of the chemicals that you bring in. Air air plugins, you know, incense, um, you know, cleaners that are filled with toxic chemicals that we spray on surfaces without even thinking about it, which aerates and stays in our home and gets in our dust and and ends up on furniture that we touch and eat. Um, most, you know, carpet cleaners, um, laundry detergents with extra chemicals, fabric softeners that we generally don't need makeup that either we haven't vetted, which it's very easy to do that now and buy safer cleaner products. So the number one thing is not even buying anything. It's more about getting rid of what we even bring into the home, which saves money and helps us be healthier. So that's my number one recommendation is kind of do a survey of your life, your home, and also what you put in on and around your bodies and start cutting things back and really getting rid of things you just don't need. That's number one.
0: What's something that you cut out in the past eight years during your, I guess, discovery through this? Is there something like huge that you cut out or was it a lot of little things?
1: Um, I changed my beer to organic beer. Really? Um, Yes. Yes. And actually tastes delicious you can get organic wine no really that's one of the things that mm-hmm. was on this journey i mean i started off with maybe um some things that maybe many people have heard i stopped microwaving or heating any food or drinks in plastic because plastic as a material is really not very tough it's not really strong you can figure that out when you put in tupperware into a um you know a dishwasher clear and it comes out you know, opaque and you can't see through it. So that's telling you that the material itself is breaking down and probably getting into the food, which those are endocrine disrupting chemicals in plastics that affect your endocrine system. So it can affect growth and risk for endocrine uh, cancers like breast cancer, thyroid, prostate, uterine um, uh, cancers, but it also can affect just thyroid disease. I mean, how many people now have um, hyper or hypothyroidism or thyroid cancer, even at very young ages, which never used to exist. Um, so, um, you know, I think just starting off with basic changes like heating plastics, avoiding heating in plastics, transferring to glass um, or carrying food in stainless steel, um, getting rid of non stick uh, pans, which actually do scrape off those chemicals into food. So, you want to just go with stainless steel or glass um, I'm a big fan of filtering water. As I mentioned, that's become a real, as I made a deep dive into that topic, it's been extraordinary. And, um, you know, I think people really don't know the nuances. So just going back to the basics of if you have a pitcher or a a faucet filter, that's pretty darn good. Um, but if you can do an extreme filtration system, which only is about 300 bucks, um, off of Consumer Reports, make sure it's a very well-rated one. You can get a reverse osmosis water filter, which goes right under your sink, um, and so that's actually much more aggressive in its ability to pull contaminants out. Um, so that that's another good good one to think about because by volume, we drink more water than we even eat food. So when you're when you're talking about just exposure amounts, water should really be at the top of people's lists. Um, but other Other things to think about, you know, canned foods. Um, Unfortunately, for some socioeconomic groups, we have to, you know, think about messaging. At least that's how I message on The Smart Human, um, which is where I get a lot of information out to everyday people. Um, Canned foods have a liner of plastic in every can, whether it's your favorite diet soda or it's, you know... Um, Canned tomatoes or peaches, any cans typically have a liner of plastic that's made with bisphenol A or BPA, which um, we now know is a strong or kind of the uh, the poster child for endocrine disruption because there's just so much international and national um, material on this particular chemical as an endocrine disruptor. Um, but pr- pretty much 99.99% of cans are made with this plastic liner. So if you can move to frozens, um, either fresh foods, um, or frozen, uh, I like frozen organics, which are cheaper and still maintain all their nutrients, um, and just transfer those frozens into glass or stainless steel, you can get the benefits of the food, um, and avoid the plastic chemical, uh, you know, contamination.
2: You know, you raised this interesting question, which is that I remember when I um, was having when I was pregnant and you start doing all this research, you probably remember this with your first child. You do a lot of research. I think by the time people have their second or third kids, they kind of don't bother anymore. But um, BPA was not allowed in bottles or in baby formula. But as you mentioned, it's still allowed in cans of, of soda and other issues. And I think people don't grasp how much the FDA approves stuff that is just awful for you. I mean, NutraSweet is exhibit A. NutraSweet would never have gotten approved if they hadn't had a very good lobbyist back in the 1970s named Donald Brumsfeld, um, who got it approved. And as a result, that's why we were all drinking Diet Coke and, and other NutraSweet components that really are supposedly not great for you, right?
1: That I mean, is correct. I mean, you know, technically speaking, we have a broken system. I mean, anyone you talk to in, in the research of endocrine disruption will tell you this, that um, we allow absolutely no regulation for personal care products at all. So everything that ends up on the store shelf has had no required testing for safety or toxicity. Food chemicals have very weak system. Um, they follow laws that go under the the um, acronym GRASS or generally regarded as safe, um, which means that thousands of chemicals were actually grandfathered in under that law um, as a food additive. And we now have over 3,000 food additive chemicals that are allowable without any testing. So, um, you know, really we're talking about a broken system and it's up to the consumer. Uh, unfortunately, people who may not even have any background in, in science or, um, you know, or toxic, or chemistry um, or did badly in chemistry, Julie, um, in high school. So, you know, anyone... <laughs> Right, Exhibit A. Is that me or biology? I don't you, know. don't, you don't want
2: you don't want me approving anything, but okay, go ahead.
1: You ended up in the right field, Julie. Um,
2: and so did I. <laughs> yes, I, I ended up in the field of, of nobody. Nobody's hiring me to save anybody's life, but go ahead.
1: Ah, oh, you do. Political. <laughs> anyway, um, anyway, the point is, is that because the system is really so broken and frustrating, at least for me as a consumer, I've decided just you know. Um, we got to let people fight the fight in their lane. And I'm going to, you know, clearly make choices based on um, studies that are done through scientists, not through manufacturers, um, and really try to find the people that do this work, like Fred Von Saal, who is my co author. Interestingly enough, he is the guy, the hero, uh, along with all his colleagues that got BPA out of baby bottle. So he is my actual co author author on both the textbook and this upcoming consumer book. So he's the real deal and I'm honored to work with him. But these are the scientists that, you know, really um, do this because it's their calling. They work for university systems. They, they have a very tight knit group of, of scientists that keep their information very tightly um, guarded because there's so many lobbyists and so many uh, American Chemical Council and all the different groups that are trying to certainly block the findings that they're coming up with. So, um, you know, it's a battle. It's a battle on every front when it comes to when it comes to money and, uh, you know, the the power of the food industry in this country.
2: Well, okay. Two more things before we have to go. One, what's the name of the book? Where and when can we get it?
1: A uh, name of the book is called Non Toxic Guide to Living Healthy in a Chemical World. Right. It is available for pre order now uh, amazon.com. Um, and it should be coming out September 1st, August 20th, somewhere in that range. Um, and, um, yeah, it's, it's pretty exciting because I think, um, my heart is in this book and, uh, I think the information is just, um, invaluable for people moving forward. We will get through COVID-19 and then we have to get back into the the idea that we are going to live, hopefully are healthy and strong, will live, um, you know, a healthy life. And they want to just make these changes because they're they're really easy and worthwhile. All
2: right, Emily, two truths and a lie. I think Ailey's ready. Are you ready? Two truths and a lie.
0: Two truths and a lie. I look forward to beating Julie for I, once.
1: I have an
2: almost perfect, I think I only got one wrong of all the guests that we've had. So I've got a perfect, almost perfect score here. So go, and I know you really I well. Know for that, a really that long time. I was
1: telling Emily, that's, yeah. that could be a problem. But here, I'll try to come up with a couple. So number one, oh, I, have to, I, I think I might have spoken on one. Okay. Um, there are only been five chemicals that have been removed in this country since 1976 off the market is number one. Number two, I was a paramedic during my college years, so I trained to do that. And number three, um, I tried out for uh, a part of Annie on Broadway when I was a young little whippersnapper.
0: Um, Go ahead, Emily. I'm going to say the lie is the first one about the five things that were.
2: I'm going to say Annie because I've never heard that story. I'm going to be really bummed if I never heard it, but go ahead.
0: Okay,
1: so um, yes, I did try out for Annie. What? And when I didn't get the part, I cried, and I remember what? that very clearly. I was in the bathroom. Did you have ages? How did you try out for Annie? Um, I was like a little stage kid. I was everywhere. I was trying. You know, my mother threw me into every audition, and uh, I was even dressed in knickers, a red shirt, and she curled hey. my hair like everyone I else.
2: Say, as I am, that Eileen Quinn, who became Annie in the movie, grew up in your hometown. Isn't she from Newtown, Pennsylvania? Yeah, she
1: has the same singing teacher as me rest faith you're kidding and same with joey lawrence just in case you wanted to know that
2: really yeah I the long
1: brothers had the same singing teacher in uh newtown pennsylvania
2: so how come they made it big you're <sighs> hanging out with us
1: Back julie i am <laughs> pissed I,
2: I would be my dream in life was to be annie i used to watch that movie over and over and over again i just watched it with my son who was well, not as a
1: documentary i'm not so sure it was so great to be such a you know these child stars i'm just using yeah. that as excuse, but you
2: know, no, right. you're busy saving um, the world now. Right. I can't believe the one, one truth and a lie that I messed up was the one from one of my oldest friends. Wait, what's well, the, no, what's
1: no, the lie was that I wasn't a paramedic in college.
2: <laughs> I was wrong too. school. an
1: Emergency medical person in high school at age 16.
2: <laughs> you were, are you allowed? I didn't know that.
1: Really? Yeah. yeah I no, trained I my idea. first night as an ambulance. EMT was a shooting in Trenton first night.
2: Really? Yep. Yikes. All right, we got to do this quickly, because I have a um, virtual soccer class that I have to take my son to translation from my computer. But um, what's making you salty, Emily, this week?
0: A lot of the Floridians, I just went on a run, and they're still playing basketball, like a group of 10 people. And I just, I want to get a water gun and just spray everybody down and be like, move, move, move. So...
1: (laughs) Well, I'm, I'm looking out at my colleagues and thinking they need better protection, and we're talking nurses, we're talking doctors, we're talking respiratory techs, custodial, we're talking the people that are frontline people, and, um, and it's breaking my heart to watch this, so that's making me more than salty.
2: Well, mine is not as altruistic as both of yours. I'm repeating second grade for the second time in my life, and uh, I didn't sign up for this nonsense, and that's making me salty. On that note, I got to go. Love you both. Um, great seeing you both. See you, everybody. See you next week.